So as we jump in, we'll be taking a new series, and it'll overlap with our life group curriculum, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the theme and the series will be called Becoming Like Jesus. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get through it. And I just want to dive right in. And I want to say Easter was just amazing around the world. It's that time of year where churches get excited. Uh, you've heard of CEOs, Christian Easter only people. And so they come back to church once in a while and, and churches get packed. But more than that, uh, it's, it's exciting for a lot of us because we baptize, we celebrate the resurrection. And so the church is packed and there's a lot of energy and we go through Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and we rejoice and we savor that. But what if it didn't have to just end? What if after Easter, there's like this letdown at church and we're like, all right, back to normal life. What if it could go on? What if we were meant to take that joy and celebration and keep moving and growing forward? And so how do we live in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection is a question. Let me say that again. How do we live if there was a person who was God and he died and he really rose again three days later? How do we live if we believe in that? How do we go on from here? And so this is what the writer of Hebrews is addressing in Hebrews chapter 10 in our scripture reading today. This is what he starts. And the key verse is verse 14. And it, he writes, For by a single offering, Jesus has made perfect, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now in the NIV, it says it such like this. He has made perfect those who are becoming perfect. And so what he means is Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, he changes us. And thank God for that because I can't change myself. I tried. Jesus changes us, but at the same time, we become growing closer and closer to perfection. Another way of saying that, he is allowing us to become more and more like Jesus. So the goal of our lives is not to be religious, it's to be like Jesus. And Hebrews writer is saying, God sees you sinless, but now you're on your journey to become like Jesus. And so Christians are those who are to become more and more like Jesus. That's, our, that's a good definition. Who are Christians? We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. Christians are not nice people or good people. Christians are just forgiven people who are on a journey to become like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. Dallas Willard, um, he's a spiritual formation author, pastor. He, wrote, he says this. Can we read it together? Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. It took me a while to really soak that in. If Jesus was living in 21st century Jason Coe's life, how would he live? Would he live in the same selfishness? Would he live in the same pride as Jason Coe? He wouldn't. He would live in this holy, perfect relationship with God. And perfection is me growing to become 
like how Jesus would live my life. And so many miss this. Uh, somebody once confessed, and we'll see this in the emotionally, spiritually, uh, healthy spirituality. Someone said, I was a Christian for 22 years. Hallelujah, right? But actually, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same thing over and over again. This is why we need to become more and more like Jesus. So activity titles, even mission work, they don't have any bearing on our spiritual depth and maturity. But growing closer to Christ is a journey. So in light of Jesus' saving work on the cross and his resurrection, where do we go? Do we say to God, God, thank you. You are alive. I can face tomorrow. Thank you. I'll check in on you when I need you. Is that how we live? No. So what, what should we live? How should we live? And the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to three things. And he tells us three things, and he begins each one with lettuce. And it sounds like lettuce, like the vegetable. But I keep saying, let us. Three things. So let's go into it. First, the Hebrews writer says, in light of Jesus breaking down the barrier so you can meet with God, you can be with God. First, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, ready? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is becoming intimately close with the presence of the living God. The first let us is, now that we have access to God, let's draw intimately close to God. Just think about that. I can have intimate, close relationship with the living God who created this galaxy, the Sombrero Galaxy, the whole creation. And he knows my name. And so this makes sense. If we couldn't get to God and, and be with God, but Jesus makes a way for us to be with God, what's stopping you? Like this illustration where John, the barrier was down and he sees his dad. It would have been a downer. I was like, I hope they hug. I hope they hug. For John to be like, ugh, and walk away. The person you've been looking for, the joy, the, the, the desire of your heart has always been God. That's the way you and I are wired. And God has made a way to us and us to him through Jesus Christ. And so what's stopping us? The great high priest Jesus gave his blood. He allowed us to go into the holy place. And once there was a dividing wall, but now it's gone. And the new curtain is Jesus himself. So he's the one that ushers you in. It's like a butler. Hey, welcome. Let me take you to the master's chamber. Um, how many of you know the song, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing? Just raise your hand. Hark the Herald. There's a line in there that I never realized was referring to this idea, Jesus is our curtain that brings us to God. You know that line, veiled in flesh the Godhead see? I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> Hail the incarnate deity. You know that line? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. 
the flesh of Jesus Christ is, allows us to go near to God himself. You can know God. Through Jesus, we can truly know God. And so what this is saying is, as Christians, we must be people who seek God and his presence daily. We don't want things from God. We want God. When I come back from a, like a business trip, and my kids, they don't do this, but let's say they did. What did you get for me? You went to Dallas? What did you get for me from Dallas? And if I say, I got nothing, and they go, and they walk away, that would hurt my feelings. They don't do that. But let's say I did bring something. I'm like, here, I bought you some uh, boots and some snakeskin belt. And they're like, this is great. But imagine if they say, but what I really miss, Dad, is you. Oh, I wish they would do that. But anyway, but, but, but that's the point. Like, we don't want things of God. We want God. And Hebrews writer is saying, what's stopping you? We can know God. So I know active Christians. I know self-professed Christians. I know liberal Christians and conservative Christians. But here's a question. But are we Christians who seek intimacy and become more and more like Jesus with God? That's what Hebrews writer is asking. Presbyterians, we have a proud heritage for 100 years. We've been Presbyterians for a long time. That's great. But imagine the heartache if God sees us on that day we face him. And we're like, God, I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. And he's like, shh. All I want, all I wanted was your heart. Oh, okay. That's different. And so this is why Jesus says later, you know, when two people are like, didn't we prophesy your name, cast out demons in your name? He's like, be gone from me. I never knew you. I wanted you. I don't want things of you, from you. And so this is why we worship. We corporately worship, individually worship, because worship is not about us. Somebody say, not about us. This is not about us. We make worship about us. No, worship, because we enter into intimacy with God, it's reminding ourselves we are so small, and God is massive, and we're giving him our worth. So when you say, well, worship was okay, the real person we need to ask is, like, did I worship God? Not how did they perform? And so in the sacred moments, we remember who we are and who God is. And we worship constantly reminding God is bigger and God is greater. And so here's the application of that. You ready for this? The busier you get, the more hectic your life becomes, the more you need to worship. Not the opposite. So the busier your life, the more active your life, my kids in five sports, I have to go to so many job projects. The busier your life, the more you worship and get in prayer to remember who you are and how great God is. And so Hebrews writer goes on, verse 23. Second, let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here's a second. We need to be resilient in our faith in the face of hardship. 
We need to be people. If Jesus died and rose again and we have access to God, how do we live? Our faith is unshakable. I like that word. Just, can we say unshakable? That's, that's a cool word, man. Hey, how do you stand smiling in the midst of this hardship? Unshakable because of Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. That's pretty bad. Um, so the writers of Hebrew is addressing Christians. You know who he's writing to? Christians who are going through persecution. They're starting to get killed. They're starting to get arrested. They're starting to get beaten. And to them, he's saying, hold fast the confession of your hope. Don't give up on your faith. I know you want to let it go, but hold on. And so many are starting to fall away, and he wants them to hold true. In fact, many Christians thought Christian life was so hard. You know what they were doing? They were becoming, they were going back to Judaism. You know, I'd rather just go with the crowd. I know I've seen Jesus die and rise again, but let me just go back to my old ways. It was comfortable. It didn't require sacrifice. And he's saying, hold fast to the hope you have without wavering for he who is promised is faithful this reminds me of jesus um he was talking about four soils do you remember this jesus says there are when you preach or when you spread the word there are four soils one soil is the path one soil is like rocky bush one soil is around thorns and one soil is around good soil and i this reminds me of the third soil the seeds that fell on rocky path they were they grew up fast they were like that's what jesus says as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no roots in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Hebrews writer is talking about Christians who are so excited easily but the true test of our faith is that when you encounter hardship, will you wither away? Verse 23 again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. You know, we have to be people with unwavering faith in what we believe. We, we live in a day where we have so many options, by the way, like, Target or Walmart, Amazon or, you know, <laughs> Kmart. I know we have too many options. There was a time where, you know, you get a pickle. It's like one pickle, dill pickle. Now you go to Vons, it's like dill pickle, sour pickle, sweet pickle, hot pickle, like Cajun pickle, sriracha. There's just so many. And we have too many options. And I think we believe, even with our faith, we could shift. I used to be a Christian. Now I'm kind of Buddhist. I used to be a Buddhist, now I'm kind of like this Zao. And to the young people, life is going to get hard. Get ready. And what Hebrews writer is saying, if Jesus died and rose again, cling to Christ with unwavering confession. Because it's coming. Um, I fear that we are too easily deterred. My grandfather uh, was a pastor, and I went back to New Jersey last week. I thought I never really met him, but I did. And there was a photo of my grandfather touching me. Now, the reason why that, that really moved me was my grandfather was one of the first pastors in 20th century Korea. He survived the Japanese occupation. 
uh, where you were forced to worship the emperor, and if you didn't, you would get beaten and killed. My grandfather survived uh, the communism. He survived World War, Korean War. And one of the craziest stories I heard was, they went, these people wanted to kill him, they went to church, and they said, we're gonna kill you, get in the building, and we'll shoot you in there. So he volunteered, I'll go first. He walked in, and all his parishioners said, no, 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 so they all walked in and crammed it, and they threw grenades in the sanctuary. A lot of people died. But my grandfather, because he was buffered by so many people, walked out without a scratch. He should have been killed. They were trying to kill him. And so when I, he lived a full life. He, he, he was an old man. He died in the 80s. And then it just made me think, what am I complaining about in Southern California as a Christian in 2019? Really, what is our complaint? In Southern California, in the United States of America, in 2019. Now, I'm not saying there is not hardship, but I'm saying there were a lot of faithful Christians for 2,000 years who suffered and died. And in America, we hardly see the persecution that we saw. In other parts of the world, there is. But in Southern California, our complaint is, it's 86? Woo, it's a little too hot. And so we need to realize we got to have unshakable hope and faith that will not waver in all things, even in the face of death. And so what are the easy ways we step away from the faith these days? And I think the first thing that we step away when we get crazy and life is hard and we mess up is we do the opposite. Of, we walk away from the church. We leave the church. We leave God. We leave fellowship. Pastor calls, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. We'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And that turns slowly into we break away from communion and community with God and friends who are like, hey, I, I remember worshiping, sitting next to you. How are you doing? And then that becomes cold. And then since we can't stay in God's community, we kind of whittle away. Instead, we need to waver. And when things get crazier, meet together, flock together. And I believe today in, in California, it's not that we can't stay in church. It's that we won't stay in church. There's a difference. I know that this is true of me. This is true of many people. And so the Hebrews writer is saying, you know Jesus was God. He died and rose again. He defeated sin once and for all. Why would you turn to anything else? Remember, verse 23 ends with this. For he who promised is faithful. Our perseverance is not strong because we're strong. Our perseverance is strong because Jesus is faithful. He is faithful. That's why we can persevere. That's a big difference. It's a big difference from, Jason, gird up. It's, I, I can't, I'm weak. I'm, I'm a spaz. I fall apart. But if he's faithful, I can, I can go on. Last one, and this is the shortest, but it's the most specific. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and let us consider how we stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Third is, don't go to church, comma, be the church. 
Don't go to church. Be the church. Let me say that. The final let us is love one another. Stir one another to good works. Meet regularly together. All with an urgency. Eating tacos together. Sandwiches together. Reading together. Praying together. Because the end is coming. Jesus is going to come back. Don't stop meeting together. So I was having a conversation in New Jersey with my cousin-in-law. He married my cousin, and he's an atheist. Grew up atheist. He says, I have a problem with the church. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm a pastor, and we have something in common, because I have a problem with the church too. We're in the same boat. See, I told him, you got to start thinking about church differently. It's not a place we go where everyone's like, hi, my life is great. Your life can be great too. It's like a cult. Like, I, I like a church where it's like, I told him, it's not a place we go. It is a gathering where messy, imperfect, selfish people saved only by the grace of God gather in Jesus' name. Oh, come on, come on, come on. I'm going to say that one more time. Church is not a place you go. It is a gathering of messy, broken, imperfect, selfish people saved only by the grace of God. Amen. That's a church I want to go to. I don't want to go to a perfect church because the moment I join it, it becomes imperfect. Uh, one, of, one of our church members was saying, uh, here on the radio, this is a cool, I'm going to steal it. Like, some guy complained, every time he buys brand new shoes, he says the shoes got problem in it. Every time we get new shoes, they all smell. And somebody said to him, maybe it's your foot. <laughs> I was like, that's good, that's a good one. And so, I think church is more like a family, a community, not a place where everyone's got it in order and follow through in the orders and rules get your life straight. It's a family. And so, do you ever say this during Thanksgiving? Hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'm going to family. Is Pastor Jason's English deteriorating? Is his grammar? No one says, I'm going to family. We say, I'm gathering with my family. I'm meeting my family in Detroit or Dakotas. No one says, I'm going to family. Family is not a destination. What is it? It's a people. So when you say, I'm going to church, it's also kind of weird. You are the church. We, church is a people. We gather with people. And so, same with church. We don't go to church. We make up this messy community of believers saved only by the grace of God. And we are messed up. We will be messed up until Jesus comes, but we can be messed up together in love and journey and grow and see what God, who is perfect, can do through a messy people like us. So the world looks at the church and says, that weird, messed up church did that? And they'll say, there has to be a God, which is the point. What makes a church strong is not the preaching, not the music, or the programs, but it's the people doing life together with Jesus as they become, little by little, more like Jesus Christ. So we don't have to go to church. We have the gift of being the church. Big difference. And so when we think of church as a checklist, of course you're not going to go. I'm too busy. I can't go this week. 
But if we're a family, I want to meet together and grow. So the church is not a destination. The church is a family of Christ redeemed heading to a destination that God is calling us into. And so I want to end with this quote that I read maybe a couple times at this church because this quote captures what we want to be. It's from uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, saturated. Jesus didn't come to earth, take on human flesh, live among people as a servant of all, suffer and die so that we could just go to church for a couple of hours a week. He wants it all. He wants all of our lives, all of the time. He wants to fill every place with his presence through his people. He wants every person in every place doing everything to glorify God, just as when Jesus called his first disciples to follow him. When he calls people to be his disciples today, he intends it to be an all-of-life kind of thing that affects everything. And we give it all. We're all in because Jesus gave it all. And we look at the cross, and we don't have to go to church. We don't have to do work, but we want to do it because Jesus did the hard job for us. We just follow along. And so in light of the cross and resurrection, how do we live? By drawing intimately closer to God, by holding to his promises and gathering together so that each of us become more and more like Jesus Christ. May a year from now we look back and say, my, how you've grown, how I see Jesus in you, how you've changed. I see the radiant glory of God through your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, in light of your death and resurrection, may we not go back to our typical everyday life. May we be overwhelmed because of what you have done to reveal your grace, your truth, and love to us. And God, this doesn't mean work harder. This just, I think what you're telling us is give it all over to you as we are. And as you change us, as you make us like Jesus through the Holy Spirit, by your grace, may we delight in the changes you make in our lives that bring us closer to you and to your purpose. God, I pray for everyone here that in their journey, that every obstacle that they thought were an obstacle, they could see how great and big you are, that you would squash it, you would grab them, and you would, through the blood of Jesus Christ, draw them to your heart. May we be a messy, broken church saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.